And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak, and you can follow me all the time on my Twitter feed at JakeJakeNY, that's two Jakes, at JakeJakeNY. You can follow me on Facebook as well, but Twitter has more, has fuller content, more frequent updates, and the like. And again, there are a number of articles, sometimes articles that I've written, sometimes studies and articles that others have written that I refer to on a lot of these editions of Novak Now. And um, I think just for the sake of continuity and the sake of full disclosure, uh, I post them on Twitter. Uh, sometimes you have to look a little bit to find them, but uh, I usually post them after the show uh, is recorded. So again, if you want fuller reading and, and, and learn more about whatever I'm talking about, uh, it's best to follow me on Twitter at JakeJakeNY. Um, this week, <laughs> the, the amount of pressure and, and for lack of a better term, bad news that's sort of on our shoulders continues to mount. We've been struggling with this COVID-19 lockdown and of course the health effects as well. But as you know, I, I, and as, as I've been saying, and you don't need me to tell you, the economic lockdown and the health threats from that lockdown, actually, not from COVID-19 now, but from the lockdown itself and people not going to the doctor and getting outside and the mental health strain that that also causes has been worse than COVID-19. That's been true for more than a month now. But now, of course, we're also dealing with these violent riots across the United States. And I think it's universally accepted. And sometimes the universally accepted truth is not true at all. But in this case, I think it's quite true that the outrage and the anger and the fear and the sadness over the death of George Floyd, who, you know, does it really matter what his background was? Apparently he had some kind of a criminal record, maybe even an extensive one, but that doesn't matter. We saw the video. No one is denying uh, that the video is real and there's no evidence that it was doctored. No one says it anyway. But to see a police officer, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me even to say this next sentence, kneeling on a man's neck for many, several minutes, uh, and then, of course, the man eventually dies. Uh, it doesn't really matter what the situation is. And of course, I should say a handcuffed man, an unarmed man. And if he deserved to be incarcerated, if he deserved to be prosecuted, all that is fine. But not, obviously, this is excessive force beyond all uh, all acceptable levels. And the anger and outrage and fear and, and sadness about that all justified and protests were going to happen despite the COVID-19 lockdowns. Uh, and of course, many of us noticed that even though we supported the idea of, of protesting, and I certainly did, the, the killing of Mr. Floyd, and I don't think there's anything wrong with the peaceful protests there, even in the COVID-19 lockdown situation, how interesting it was that all these mayors and other state officials and local officials across the country who were willing to arrest hairdressers for opening up their, their, their shops or arrest people for walking too closely to an immediate family member on a beach, we're suddenly fine with everyone coming out and protesting. And again, so am I. <laughs> but I was also okay with the hairdresser opening up her salon as long as she was wearing a mask. And I was also okay with, obviously okay, with members of an immediate family walking closely together. They're staying in the same house. It's silly to arrest people for walking together in a public place if they're also living in the same home together. All those kinds of crazy things going on. The immediate exception that was made for a politically correct protest, which again, I think was literally in this case, politically correct. I'm not using that term in, in, a, in a denigrating fashion. This was something that was worth protesting. But I noticed that, and I think a lot of you may have noticed that as well. But then it got a lot worse. First off, 
as anyone, as a lot of people could have predicted, violent rioters took advantage of these protests. And in this case, it's Antifa, which many of us have been talking about for a long time. I don't think I've ever really spoken too much about Antifa here on the Novak Now program on the Nahum Siegel Network. But this is really a domestic terror group made up mostly of um, middle class or maybe even wealthier white Americans, not that they don't have the right to protest about certain things, depending on what their situation is. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is the idea that the sort of persona that they sometimes try to project as some kind as being sort of representing minorities, they don't really represent minorities. They don't represent anything but themselves or some kind of mayhem. They're sort of basically a domestic they are a domestic terrorist group, but they're also basically domestic troublemakers. I mean, for people who profit either politically or financially off of violence in our streets, in our cities, and vandalism, Antifa is there. And um, I think we're going to find out in the coming weeks and days that they're, in some ways, a for-hire group. Um, they bring mayhem when somebody wants mayhem there. Uh, we have many reports of Antifa and other protesters being directed to places where they can find bricks and other things to throw, where the bricks are stacked up for them. People want to know how that is being paid for, how that's being transported. Antifa members are, in many cases, either paying their own way or people are paying for them to come to these different cities. There's a lot of local rioters who have been arrested. It's not all outside people, as some people are trying to say, but there are quite a few outside people being arrested at these things. So uh, predictably, the Antifa groups have taken over these protests. They've turned into riots. Um, Now that we know that these protests are devolving into riots in almost every situation, certainly in the major cities, it's one that, you know, I think that if you're in a suburban area or a smaller town and there's a protest being organized by a group that you know or people that you know, I'm not saying don't go to that protest, but I am saying if there's a, a protest that's being arranged around late afternoon time in a major city, whether it's Times Square, Union Square, some places here in Brooklyn, um, then in places like Washington, D.C., Chicago, don't go. Those are not protests. Those are not peaceful protests. Those aren't even angry protests. Those are violent riots where there will be looting, where there will be uh, potentially, you know, real danger to anybody there, even if you're just a bystander. This is not a, for, so if you're, if you're someone with your cell phone who wants to go and take video of looting because maybe you think you'll post it and it'll be cool, don't do that. Because that'll be, it's just dangerous for you to be in the proximity of something like that. So uh, as some of my friends have said, and I agree with them, at this point, no matter how much you believe in any particular cause, no matter how angry you are about the police killing of George Floyd, and I'm angry about it too. I, I, don't think, I really don't know anyone who isn't angry about it, or at least really horrified. I mean, that video is really horrifying. I couldn't watch it for from, from more than a few seconds, and, and I think a lot of you are in the same boat with me. Uh, And I did my due diligence. I waited a few days like I always like to try to wait to see if there's anything funny going on here, whether there was maybe some kind of violent conflict beforehand, not that that would really excuse it, but maybe put it into some kind of context. And, you know, none of that has come out. It just seems like universally accepted from all sides that this was a police murder. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. So no one is really arguing that. But I have to say at this point, the protest movements... If there are peaceful protest movements out there, they really need to ask themselves whether they need to continue organizing protests at this time when it is so likely that their protests will be hijacked by Antifa or maybe somebody else and turned into a violent riot where people are going to get hurt 
where and and the people going to get hurt are almost always the people who 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 are the victims in this situation in the first place. Minority groups, small businesses that have been victimized by this COVID-19 lockdown now seeing their stores looted after they were forcibly shut down for 2 months. I mean, can you imagine this? We've seen a lot of videos of that. We saw the video of a of a Dallas of a small business owner in Dallas being beaten within an inch of his life on Saturday night by these looters and rioters. So these groups, I, I, have, to, I, I have to urge them. D- you need to put a stop to your protest. I'm not trying to infringe on your constitutional right to, to protest something like this. But you need to take a break with this because your protests are being hijacked. And at this point, you cannot plead ignorance to that fact. There'll be plenty of time for more protests. Um, and I think that protests are warranted now, not only because of the killing, but because the initial charges against the officer involved in this killing the one who kneeled on mr floyd's neck for for you know this horrific amount of time the initial charges against him again almost universally accepted by the public as not being adequate they are universally rejected by the public i should say i heard uh, former mayor rudy giuliani saying that he would have charged that officer with murder one he's been charged with third degree murder um a very low level of manslaughter on top of that now, again, these are just the state charges, and the feds, the federal prosecutors may add some more serious charges, and maybe they'll up the charges. I, I, I don't think it's, you know, it's not like one of these things where they cannot go back and, and charge him with something more serious, and I hope they do. So I, I'm not saying there, 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 is, there aren't justified reasons to continue protesting, but at, at this moment, they need to be stopped. You could argue, hey, because the COVID-19 lockdowns are still in place, they shouldn't have had these large gatherings in the first place anyway. Um, but as someone who believes that especially going outdoors is not really a risk, um, I was always okay with the protests, you know, when they started, but now I'm not because they've clearly been hijacked every single one of them in the major cities, I should say by Antifa and other groups. And it's time to say no more protests for a while, but see if you can keep the pressure up. Otherwise, if there's a way that you can have a speaker online, uh, make a speech or put pressure on these prosecutors to 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 uh, up the up the charges. And again, I, I I know that that isn't as I guess the word is satisfying as marching in the street with the sign. But we have to put this in perspective right now. We're, we're in a situation now where people are being people's lives are being threatened. We've had dozens and dozens of police officers and Secret Service agents who have been injured. Um, historic sites being vandalized monuments being tagged with graffiti this this can't continue this can't continue this is really punishing already victimized people and and you know again it's just just lives are at stake here we don't we don't need to protest the killing of george floyd by having other people killed that's just very very simple now i want to talk though about how sadly the riots and some of the conduct of some of the rioters and some of the groups involved is this is the latest chapter in what i have noticed really since election night 2016 but certainly mostly accentuated by the way we've responded to the covid19 crisis and what i've noticed is this being a continuing either deliberate or not deliberate but it's just as bad no other word for it no other phrase for it war on our children we are really taking out our fears, anxieties, and frustrations in this country on our children, either on purpose or 
more, more likely just because we're not really thinking. We're not really, really thinking about the best way to handle this. We're not really thinking about our, our jobs as parents and, and, and as adults, even if you're not a parent, living among children and how this affects children. And it's continued to, and, and, I'm, and listen, I'm sure there are many examples of this before 2016, but I'm going to start the narrative because this is only a half hour program and I can't talk forever. But I want to talk about how I think this has really played itself out in this country in a big way since election night 2016. Now, if you take you back to election night 2016 when Donald Trump wins the presidency, we saw during that night and then in the morning after that and the day after that, a number of people talking about how they were so upset about Donald Trump winning the election. They were very, very concerned and worried for their future. And they decided in the middle of the night or maybe very, very early in the morning to go and wake up their children and kind of cry with them and tell them that Trump had won and isn't this terrible. And I have to say, if I had the power to put every parent who did that to their child, and, and, and I'm talking about any child, even a teenager, any parent that did that to their child ought to have their parental rights you know, suspended at least for a short time. That is an irresponsible and horrible thing to do as a parent. This is not wartime, at least it wasn't then. It was not a question of anyone really needing to fear for anything. You had a candidate who a lot of people had a visceral dislike for, same was true of Hillary Clinton, who won the election. And for this, I think a lot of adults just were not prepared for this. They had been told by the news media that there was no chance that Donald Trump was going to win, so it was a double loss for them because they really disliked Trump and they were surprised that he won. They were not prepared for it. And they decided that everyone needs to be miserable, starting with their own children. Now, this started to take a more national a more national reaction, started to take more of a, a, a more national effect with the way that the left in general and Democrats in general responded to the Trump election. First, they started with this kind of stuff, a lot of personal crying, a lot of personal misery within, in, within individual homes. Then it started with the hate crimes, or I should say the false flag hoax hate crimes. Now, let me preface this by saying that there are plenty of hate crimes in America committed probably every day, which is very sad, an embarrassment, and not acceptable in any way. But starting with the election of Donald Trump in November of 2016, a string of dozens and dozens of hoax hate crimes. In other words, pretend hate crimes. I think they actually are still hate crimes because the people who are frightened by it and affected by it are actually still frightened and affected by it. But carried out by people, in other words, to try to smear Trump supporters. In other words, these were graffiti attacks, vandalism, fires set by people who were hoping to make it look like Trump supporters had or an actual white supremacist had committed these hate crimes, when in fact it was really left-wing Trump haters who had done this to try to prove a point that America now was a worse place because Trump had been just elected, and this was, again, their, their phony narrative that this had really emboldened white supremacists. I don't think Trump emboldened white supremacists. I think the news media telling people that they were emboldened by, by Trump emboldened white supremacists. That's what I think happened. I think the news media decided to make something that wasn't true true, and the thing that, was, that they made true is ho- r- truly horrible. I mean, they have given white supremacists the biggest boost they've had in this country since Geraldo Rivera's old show in the 1980s. If you remember his old talk show in the 1980s, he routinely invited these Klansmen and white supremacists on his show, 
They would have fights. In fact, Geraldo broke his nose uh, in one of those fights. Somebody hit him in, in the nose of the chair. And it was good for ratings. But it also gave prominence to a group that was really dwindling from the national consciousness at the time. And then they sort of dwindled again. With the advent of the internet, they've sort of, they made a little bit of a, of a renewed presence. I don't know if they got more followers. I just think that they got more noticeable, which is too bad because you don't want people to notice these groups. You want them to be noticed in the case of if they commit a crime, we can find them. That's fine. But the idea that, they're, that they get more publicity, even if it's, we think it's bad publicity, is, a ba- is, is I, I don't want to hear from these people and I don't want to see them. Again, if they commit a crime and they do something that's against the law or, or hurt somebody, yeah, then I want to see them. I want to see them in jail. The only time I want to see them is when they're marching in handcuffs to, to jail. That's when I want to see white supremacists. Otherwise, I don't want to see them or hear from them. I think you understand the point I'm making. But that was, I think, the first... So after the waking up the children and deciding that everything is terrible and telling them that a horrible thing had happened when nothing had happened other than an election result, we don't, President Trump hadn't done anything yet, he was not even president yet, that was the first act of, I think, really, really instilling fear into our children for no good reason. Then we had the beginning of this string of hoax hate crimes. Again, real hate crimes, but committed... In a, it, it, but hoaxes in, in, in that they were... False flag operations, groups that were really actually not apparently, they probably were deep down probably hateful of minorities, even though some of them were minorities who were carrying out these attacks. But they were trying to make it sound like, look like Trump supporters all over the country were committing open hate crimes now when it was really Trump haters who were committing these crimes in the hopes of smearing Trump supporters. And there have been dozens and dozens of instances of this. Of course, the most famous one being, and it hasn't stopped, the most famous one being the actor Jesse Smollett, who perpetrated a huge ha- uh, hoax hate crime against himself for whatever reason. But that was just one example. There were dozens and dozens. You can look it up online. So many of them have been documented as being not real. In other words, not really committed by Trump supporters, committed by people who don't like President Trump in hopes to, of smearing the other side. Now, this is an incredible thing. If, this, if, it, if it had just ended there, if it had just ended there, that would be bad enough. Because this frightens everybody, especially children. Imagine you're a child looking at a church that you go to that was burned down. Imagine if you're a child looking at hateful graffiti and being frightened by that, being terrorized by that, being very saddened by that. And then to find out maybe as an adult or maybe even when you're still a child that it actually wasn't somebody who supported the president. It was really just someone trying to make trouble. Uh, it was someone trying to make trouble for somebody who doesn't even live in your area or something like that. That would really be just, that's just an amazing and horrific thing. And that was bad enough. And again, it hasn't stopped. We're still seeing this kind of phony smear hate crime stuff going on. But then it got worse. Then they started with the Russia collusion hoax and three years worth of creating an atmosphere in this country where people were looking at each other askance thinking maybe people who are on the other side politically are actually not only just opposed to my policies but maybe they're spies maybe they're traitors i mean the kind of hatred and distrust that 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 we saw during the mccarthy era in this country in the 1950s i think in many ways it was worse during this period because there was an entire group of millions and millions and millions of Americans who openly voted for Trump who were being told they were, they were traitors and they were helping the Soviets, helping the Russians, not the Soviets, um, all that kind of stuff. I mean, this goes way beyond losing the chess match and then t- tossing over the chessboard in frustration. This is really burning down the country. So then we had the Russia collusion hoax. Then we had the Ukraine 
impeachment thing that was really, I mean, how many times do politicians and presidents talk to other countries and say, and do things to help them out politically? Everything a president does is is not going to be something that they do to hurt themselves politically, and they'll do stuff to help themselves politically. What you want is you want a president who does stuff that he thinks will help the country and and himself politically, because self-interest is the way that things get done in the world and in the economies and in politics. If somebody's going to say, I'm going to make a cancer cure, I do want to help the people who are suffering from cancer, but I'm not going to do it unless I get paid for it, then that's more likely going to be the scenario where we're going to get a cure for cancer than someone who says, like, well, I just want to help people. I don't care if you pay me. So as soon as it becomes too costly for you to make, <laughs> to make your, your cancer cure, you're going to stop doing it because you can't afford it. If you're going to be paid for it, even while you're in the process of making of it, then, then, then it'll happen. For those of you who are under, uh, unaware of what I'm talking about, read... Milton Friedman's book, The Right, The Power to Choose, other kinds of books that he's written will explain this better than I am right now in the brief amount of time that I have. But then we had the Ukraine impeachment hoax, because I do believe it was a hoax, because look, they, they, they did it based on a transcript that wasn't, that wasn't exactly what the president had said. We know now that the people who were, quote, the whistleblowers had tried to get the president in trouble from day one. And they were just sort of out to get Donald Trump, and they found something that they could run with for a while. So then we had that, which also split the country up and made us angry and also took our eye off the ball with COVID-19. Then they tried to blame the COVID-19 crisis on President Trump, also putting a situation where people and adults and children are afraid. Oh, my God, the president isn't doing anything. It doesn't care about us dying. This is the narrative that very, very adult and supposedly responsible people we're saying and continue to say every single day now. I mean, are we really supposed to believe that the President of the United States doesn't care that, that 100,000 Americans have died? But that's, that's the narrative we're hearing from people. Joe Lockhart is one of them. There are a lot of Democrats saying this. You know, they probably think this is just a cheap political point that can score, and that's great. But they don't understand that that frightens people, and the people that it often frightens are children. And then the COVID-19 crisis, which we know does not affect children in almost any way. Health-wise, uh, notice that we haven't heard any chatter about this Kawasaki disease, which is an extremely rare disease, which I, apparently they, they've decided to stop talking about because they realize it really doesn't have much to do with COVID-19. And we've decided to do more than just frighten the children here. We've really punished them. We've reopened restaurants. Some states have reopened bars. We've allowed people to go out and do these violent protests. We're telling people they can start doing a lot of other things in close contact. But the one thing that we're not hearing yet is the schools reopening. And why is that? Now, on previous editions of Novak Now, I've talked about how, especially here in New York, because of Governor Cuomo's failure to do the right thing on the nursing homes situation, and again, as I've said many times, I don't think that Andrew Cuomo, I'm not going to be like these people saying Trump doesn't care. I don't think that Andrew Cuomo was deliberately trying to kill elderly people and didn't care about them. I'm not buying that narrative and neither should you. But he did make a mistake. And the thing that I'm really angry about Andrew Cuomo about is not that he made the mistake, as much as that's a very saddening and, and just terrible situation because thousands and thousands of elderly people died in New York. I'm angry about the way he's responded since. The first time he was asked about it, maybe even the first two times, he pretended he didn't know what the policy was, and that was a lie. Then he started to blame the White House for it, which is ridiculous. And he's still not taking responsibility for it. 
That's what I'm angry about. And he's not alone. Pennsylvania made a similar situation. Of course, the most, the most really angering situation we've had is the Secretary of Health in the state of Pennsylvania, Rachel Levine, taking her own mother out, her own 95-year-old mother out of the nursing homes because she knew that she would die if she stayed there, but then ordering everyone else to stay, not giving anyone else the right to do the same thing. That's the most, that's the most outrageous thing. Now, and even I am not saying that Rachel Levine wanted those people to die in the nursing homes, but she knew that they were a terrible risk. She showed less concern for the public than she should have in her position, period, period. But we are now, because of that, I think we are seeing the children being punished for it. (laughs) Because as long as the schools are closed and our lives are disrupted in this way, it takes our eyes off the ball about how this disease really, 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 when it comes down to it, mostly, if not almost completely, affected elderly people. Now, I know you're going to tell me, I heard about a couple of people who were young who died from it. Absolutely. These were extraordinary cases and very sad cases. But the mortality rate of people with COVID-19 under the age of 60 is basically zero. But if we learn that, and if we focus on that fact, then the chances of us focusing on what happened in the nursing homes and the assisted living facilities, et cetera, et cetera, is going to be accentuated. We're going to start focusing on the real victims of this disease. And so I do believe that a big, big reason for Governor Cuomo moving on, not moving on the schools, not telling us yet whether we're going to reopen in the fall, preemptively closing the schools for the year, which he should not have done so long ago. I think a huge impetus for that is because he wants to take our eyes off the ball on, on the real victims who are the elderly. Another reason that we're closing the schools that punishes the children unfairly is there are some old people who work in schools. We have teachers who are in their 60s. We have administrators who are older than that. And I value people, especially veteran educators. Don't get me wrong. But folks, I'm going to say something here that should be obvious but I don't think it's obvious enough to some people. The schools are not for the adults. Teachers, schools are not for the teachers. They're for the children. Now, teachers deserve to feel protected. You know, in in this city of New York, the reason why teachers unions in this country in the first place have any power at all is because of the way the teachers were abused in the city of New York in the 60s and early 70s. You can read about it in a fantastic book called John Lindsay and the Ungovernable City. The, the full title of the book is The Ungovernable City, John Lindsay in New York. It's by a guy named Vincent Canato. I highly recommend you read it because there are several chapters in the book about how public school teachers in New York City, especially in the 60s and early 70s, were not physically protected at, at, at work. And because of that, the teachers' unions, which prior to that in New York City and all over the country, but especially in New York City, had just been sort of professional organizations, places where people traded ideas where they talked about different things, where they made sure, for example, the Jewish holidays were days off, things like that, turned into a real trade union and got way too much power. But you can understand why that happened. A man named Albert Shanker, who became the first real radical teachers union leader, grew out of that situation. And even he realized towards the end of his life that things had gone too far. Now, I want to protect teachers. I want to protect older people who are working in schools. But if it means they have to stay home, that a few of them have to stay home while we reopen the schools for the children, then they have to stay home while we, re- while we reopen the schools for the children, for crying out loud. If, if a few teachers in every school have to stay home, listen, they're going to be paid anyway, especially in the public schools. We know that. 
teachers who commit crimes get paid <laughs> when they're not teaching. So, of course, teachers who have done nothing wrong but are staying out of the schools for, for their own personal health and other people's health reasons will still be paid. I'm in favor of that. But we must reopen the schools because we are punishing our children for our own political mistakes and our own fears and our own, our own problems that don't affect the children, that shouldn't affect the children, but we've decided to give it to them. This is a terrible sin, more than just a political error, more than just bad conduct. It's a terrible sin, and we continue to do it. I hope we stop. Don't bring your children to the riots. We've had examples of that, by the way. Reopen the schools and stop projecting your fears and anxieties on children. It has to stop. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.